and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you some bedtime stories. Before we start with the scares, though, I have two very exciting announcements. First, you can find me once again as a guest on Watch If You Dare with Aaron and Derek, and an additional guest, V.P. Morris, the incredible author who you will remember as the one who wrote the story and episode titled Exit 13. We discuss the movie The Neon Demon. Did I like it? Did I hate it? Go find out. That's Watch If You Dare wherever you get your podcasts. Second announcement is launching Monday, February 13th. This is one, uh, I keep, I kept mentioning it little bits, but I'm finally launching Dormir o Morir, Sleep or Die, the Spanish language scary to sleep podcast. Bloody FM helped me find a wonderful editor slash translator and three incredible voice actresses to be me and to take scary to sleep a little more international there will be stories there will be guided nightmares we're beginning with a single season of episodes just to see how this goes so please check them out i would really appreciate it uh yeah and we're starting with hombre calcinado or the charred man a classic from scary to sleep and now you can hear it in another language so if you're a spanish speaker or looking to improve your spanish then look for dormir o morir wherever you get your podcasts i'll be dropping a part of the episode here on scary to, the scary to sleep channel as well and that'll be on monday so you can get a little taste of what you're in for and yeah there will be links where you're going to hear about it in an intro that might be playing right now i'm very excited please go listen um i know i have a big spanish speaking audience and i just i'm so happy i can give you a little more scary to sleep. I don't know. Uh, Very excited. I don't even know what to say. So, okay, enough of my announcements. Now on to this week's episode. First is by Caroline Geary. Caroline is a horror writer based on the south coast of England. As well as writing, she enjoys reading or listening to anything spooky and is working towards a degree in creative writing. You remember Caroline's fantastic Halloween-themed stories from a few months back called Bittersweet and Baby Teeth in the episode titled Death by Chocolate. Well, she is back again this week for a Valentine's-themed horror. This is Rare Love. Martha. Welcome to my pub, the White Swan. Its whitewashed walls and thatched roof are chocolate box pretty. It sits aside a duck pond in the heart of a quaint village. Won't you come in and join us? In the summer, our beer garden is filled with patrons enjoying a cold glass of something and catching some rays. We have it all, from the young hip crowd to the families with young children to the elderly couples who have been crossing our threshold since they were a part of the young hip crowd. In the winter, dog walkers come in from the rain and warm themselves by our open, roaring fire. They laugh at the sign that says, Dogs welcome, children tolerated. And the air is filled with the sound of chatter and clinking cutlery and the smell of a hearty home-cooked roast. It is the perfect country pub. Well, it was. It was when James was still here. We had taken it on as newlyweds. 
full of passion and enthusiasm, excited to be working on this together as we started out in the world as a couple. Benson was just a puppy then. I look at him from across the bar, snoozing contentedly next to the fire. His chin resting on his front paws, his soft brown belly rising and falling rhythmically as he sleeps. It's been an especially cold February this year, and I'm painfully aware that this is the exact day a year ago that James disappeared. Tabitha, the barmaid, keeps stealing glances at me out of the corner of her eye. I realize it's because I'm polishing a wine glass with such zeal that it may shatter into a million pieces, not dissimilar to my heart when I found out about James's betrayal. It's an awful anniversary to have, isn't it? The loss of someone. And even worse, that it's Valentine's Day today, and I will have to endure couples gazing into each other's eyes all night while we prepare meals for them to enjoy. I'll want to tell them that it It doesn't mean anything. I'll want to tell unsuspecting men and women that, yes, they might love you now, but it doesn't guarantee forever. It just means until something better comes along. And don't I know that only too well. It had only taken a young, attractive barmaid called Penelope to cause 15 years of marriage to fall apart at the seams. When he disappeared, I couldn't believe it. It doesn't truly feel like he's gone. I can't move on. Sometimes, I think I hear him. Well, I often hear something when I'm alone. The cellar in particular gives everyone chills. No one goes down there but me. Common sense tells me that it's cold down there simply because it has old stone walls, naturally no heating, and houses a large chest freezer that hums ominously in the dark. It's only me that will go down there. I have to laugh when Tabitha widens her eyes any time I have asked her to go down there, Anything but that, she'll say in mock horror. I'll take the bins out, I'll clean the toilets. So, it's normally me that goes down there. I do it with an air of bravado, but my heart always speeds up. The hairs on my neck will gently lift. The air is different down there. I always feel like I can hear breathing. Sometimes a sharp intake, sometimes a soft sigh, and the strong, innate feeling that I'm not alone. All rationale leaves me when I'm down there. All cold, light-of-day common sense leaves me, and suddenly it is quite possible that a figure will be lurking in the corner, or an entity is waiting to chase me up the stairs. Delicious smells are coming from the kitchen. Good. At least the evening is running smoothly. Tabitha is expertly pouring pink Prosecco into sparkling crystal glasses. The glasses catch the light and 
I can see the bubbles dancing their way to the top of the glass. I cast my eyes over the menu, designed by me, expertly cooked by my chef, Hugh. Good old Hugh. He's been with me through thick and thin. I rub my fingers over the menu. The paper is textured, thick, no expense spared. The starter is a liver pate with rainbow radish, avocado, crispy lotus, and green chili sauce. The main is filet of beef, 198 grams, prime center cut. We do ask the patrons how they would like it cooked, but nearly everyone has it rare. Hugh would die a little inside if anyone ever dared to order one well done. Dessert is a pavlova with raspberry coulis and edible glitter served with sparklers. As I see Tabitha leave the kitchen with the first one, it looks so pretty. The dim firelight and candles are making shadows dance on the walls. Goose flesh prickles up my arms despite the fire. So I decide to run upstairs and grab a warm jumper. As I leave the bar area through the heavy oak door, it swings shut behind me with such force that I think someone has pushed it. But there's no one there. Just the staircase stretched out in the darkness before me. The air out here so much colder than in the bar. And I suddenly feel a million miles from everyone. For some reason I, I can't put my finger on, I didn't want to go upstairs. I'm in a strange decisional limbo. It's so dark out here. I can't see the top of the stairs. But I don't want to turn the light on as I don't want to actually see the top of the stairs. Then, suddenly, there's a movement. The slow outline of a head seems to form at the top of the stairs, like someone or something is slowly, cautiously peering around the corner at me. I blink rapidly and my fingers slap at the light switch. As the pale yellow light illuminates the hallway, I see there's nothing there. Just a trick of the light, a trick of the absence of light, a trick of an absent husband. I take a deep breath and walk up the stairs. When I reach the top, I look left and right. There's no one there. Of course there's no one there. Why would there be? The door to my bedroom creaks. The sound is jarring and uncomfortable as it breaks through the silence. There is still a picture of me and James on the bedside table next to my side of the bed. I still call it my side of the bed and I only sleep on my side of the bed. To change any of that is the final acceptance that he isn't coming back. And I can't do that. Not now. Maybe not ever. James is looking at me. I stiffen and swallow hard in the photo that resides on the bedside table. 
James should be looking off into the distance. It was taken on our honeymoon. We are windswept on a sandy beach. In the picture, my eyes are squinting in the midday sunshine. I'm laughing, and James is too. We are looking in different directions, so we must be laughing at something that has been said and not something you can see. But now... He is looking straight at me from the photograph. Straight on. At least I think he is. There are empty spaces where his eyes should be. Before I can blink the image away, I hear it. The creak of leather from behind me. Someone or something has sat on the leather armchair. I turn. Slowly, slowly I turn until I'm facing the chair. <sighs> of course, no one is sitting there, but I see the seat indented as though someone or something has sat there, is sitting there. I need a drink. With my eyes looking straight ahead, I grab a thick gray cardigan from the wardrobe, and looking neither left nor right, I march from the room and take the stairs two at a time until I reach the bottom. I nearly slip, and I must look flustered as I burst back into the bar. You okay? Asked Tabitha. Fine, love. I say, and pour two glasses of Prosecco. I never would normally drink so blatantly at the bar with the staff, but today... Well, today I need it. Tabitha raises an eyebrow questioningly, but takes the glass when I hand it to her. In way of an answer, I raise my glass out to her and say, Us single girls deserve a little treat, too. To us, declares Tabitha as we clink glasses and she takes a sip and licks her lips. I look around at the happy couples. The night has been a success. The Prosecco has taken the edge off my nerves. Frank Sinatra's I've Got You Under My Skin is playing from the playlist we prepared earlier. Tabitha is singing along. As I listen to the words, I wish she'd stop. There's something a little too close to the bone about it. I feel like there's too much love in here tonight. Too many roses. Too much pink. Too much red. Each table I look at, I see the dull pink of the liver pate. It reminds me of old skin. The steaks, rare and bloody. The strawberries and the pavlova. They are reminding me of something. They're reminding me of something I don't wish to remember. Martha? It's you from the kitchen. Red-faced, but happy-looking. Could you pop downstairs and grab some strawberry ice cream? He lowers his voice. Princess Blondie over there doesn't like Pavlova. He rolls his eyes. Tabitha snickers. I see she has drunk her Prosecco. Then again, 
I've drunk mine too. I think maybe I should pour us both another glass. Sure. I smile. Going down to the cellar is the only thing they ever ask of me. It's probably for the best. But... I don't want to go down there tonight. I can't. I go to ask Hugh if he'd mind, just this once. Or maybe if he'd even come with me. The time is nearly here after all. But I can't ask that. I know I can't ask that. Tabitha neither. I consider it, but as I glance at her, she's chatting to a couple and pulling pints. No. No, I'll go alone. I pull my cardigan further around me as I descend the steps. I pause, pull the cord that turns the light on, and it illuminates the room with a satisfying clunk-clink. The exposed light bulb buzzes for a second and swings on its length of wire, casting shadows and making them rise and fall between the cellar walls. I stare at the chest freezer. I'm not sure how long I stare, but I need to hurry up. I walk over and run my finger along the silver surface, seeing my face in the reflection, distorted. I don't recognize myself. I rip off the proverbial band-aid and open the lid. As the icy air wafts out, I swear I hear a barely audible sigh drift out and past me. There's ice cream here, but it's near the bottom. I'll need to remove some items first. The first thing I pick up is... James's head. It's wrapped in cling film so tightly that his features are squashed into an inhuman grimace. I try not to look. All that is left of James is wrapped in cling film. I remove a thigh, a leg, and part of the torso. There isn't too much of him left now. I find the ice cream. I go back upstairs. Happy fucking Valentine's Day. And last but certainly not least, this week is author Stuart Leach, who's been on the show a couple of times with his stories, The Journal of Ezekiel Hayden and The Hotel, and I think maybe one other time that I'm forgetting. By the way, if you want more of Stuart's work, you can find him on Reddit under user Unseen Visitor. This week, Stuart has for us a squishy one. This is an itch you can't scratch. The sentence was muffled beneath the sound of overused bass and snares, 
and the empty conversations of the surrounding partygoers. It means the world to me that you're here, though. Believe me. I wouldn't have had the balls to show up if you didn't tag along. Jeremy, my not-so-innocent best friend since preschool, was much, much more into the get-drunk-on-Friday-and-sober-on-Sunday lifestyle than I ever could have been. He always found himself at some random person's house on a Saturday night, inevitably being so inebriated that I would get the predestined jumble of incoherent texts and voicemails from him needing me to pick him up. Mind you, we're still in high school, so this entails me walking around town in the middle of the night, sometimes walking the streets as the sun begins to rise, looking for some house that had far too many cars parked in front to be considered safe. And yet, I would consistently do it, because that's what you do for your friends. You make sure they're safe, and you save their asses from their holier-than-thou parents ever finding out that their son likes more than a sip of wine during Sunday Mass. This particular Saturday night, however, was a party out of town. Jeremy's friend Zach told him about it, and since it was more than likely going to be a very long walk back, I ended up being conned into coming because, and I quote, I'm way too responsible to let anything bad happen. On top of that, and I'm still quoting here, I really need to find a woman or a guy or whatever in between that could get me in my pants off. Jeremy is a modern-day Lord Byron with his words. So here we are, in a basement that smells of sweat, spilled alcohol, tobacco, and some other scents that I don't think, and sure hope, aren't human, being overstimulated by the sound of EDM turned up to 20, people shouting over each other about who's hot and who's sleeping with who, while Jeremy is six drinks in and I'm holding a still full cup of root beer. Virgin root beer, at that, and believe me, I see the pun in that. Jer, I know you're having fun, but we need to go soon. I shouted over the copious sounds around us. It's nearly 4 a.m., and it's going to take us at least an hour to walk home. Our eyes met, but I swear to you, Jeremy wasn't there. I I hear you, man, and I agree. His thought faded from his head as his eyes left my gaze and had locked onto something behind me. Something that to him was so magnificently incredible that even my existence beside him became obsolete. Dude, don't look now, but I think you're being checked out. I went to look behind me, out of general curiosity, before being greeted with a right hand across my cheek. I said don't look, you nimrod. Maybe she's looking at me. That would make sense. I mean, like... Can't even, I I mean, like, just, holy man, holy shh, she's coming over. Silence. Fear. My heart rate doubled in an instant. Was everything going in slow motion? Was the world spinning a little harder than it was a moment ago? Was gravity feeling a little more gravity-y? What the hell does that even? Hi. Decadent. Caramel. The first warm day after the winter equinox. A baby's first laugh. Getting a raise at work without asking for it. The the first time that you tried ice cream and remembered it. Being told that your clothing style is actually nice and you don't need to lose 10 or 50 pounds to look better. 
the embrace you needed on your worst day. Some gas you just couldn't pass because too many people were around, finally being released. All of these things combined wouldn't equate to the sound of her voice. She was shy, timid, and yet so pleasantly soft to my ears. How I heard her through the riotous party around us? I do not know, but the heavens opened and blessed me with this moment, and I was so happy I couldn't speak. I wanted to return the greeting, but it, it was already too long of a pause. Or, or was it only a second? Was it a minute? How long was she here? Wait, what? Girls don't look at me. Guys don't look at me. I, I'm not something people look at. She was gorgeous. Her long, flowing blonde hair partnered with her delicate facial features. And her smile that made me want to jump over the moon. She was leaving me speechless. Off-ramp signs are more appealing than me. So how was she saying hello to me? Are you going to say hi back, or... Did I just make a fool of myself? Her voice was shaky, nervous, over me not responding to her. No, I, I mean, no, no, I'm just, I'm not going to say hi. I mean, no, I, I'm not not going to say hi. I, I wanted to say hi back, just so we're clear. I mean, I... I <laughs> she laughed. That laugh made my spine jolt with an energy I've never experienced. I wanted to run from one side of the planet to the other and carry that laughter with me so everyone could feel what I felt in that moment. Let's start over. She put out her hand. My name's Amber, and your name is? I continued to stare until I felt a sharp pain rip into my lung. The cause of it being Jeremy's elbow, shaking me from my stupor. I shook her hand in return. I'm Mark. Uh, nice to, uh, meet you. My hand began to itch, slightly on the back. I didn't want her to think I was some weirdo who believed in cooties, so I didn't bother with it immediately. Can we go somewhere a little quieter to chat? I'm not trying to make a quick move on you. You just seemed... interesting. To me. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, please. I think I stood up before I even responded. Without even looking back to Jeremy, I followed Amber out of the basement and into the living room upstairs. No one else was up here, and the sound of the party was muffled enough that I could hear my breath finally. I felt as if enough time had passed to finally scratch my hand, so I finally went to do so, but was stopped by Amber grabbing the hand and looking at me, that bright smile, melting me down yet again. The itch wasn't even that bad anyway. What itch? So, Mark, what do you do for fun? She asked as we walked to the living room sofa, sitting down side by side, hand in hand. Uh, well, where do I begin? The itch was getting a little bit annoying by now, but I just buried it behind my focus on her. I read a lot. I actually just finished reading Stephen King's Dark Tower series. 
That's the books about the gunslinger and the man in black, right? She... she didn't. She knew the books? Yeah, that... that's the one. The itch was now crawling to my wrist, beginning to feel like a thousand spiders burrowing into my skin. She was still more important. How about you? What do you do for fun? Focus on Amber. That's an easy one. I find teenagers and destroy their lives with my devilish good looks and my other skill. My hand was turning into white noise. Oh, that's nice. Wait, what? I'm going to let you in on a little secret now. Okay, Mark. Something about Amber's entire posture, no, her entire being, changed. She seemed taller, her hair didn't seem as nice, and there was something behind her smile. Something that wanted to hurt me. I wanted to scratch my hand so bad, but she wouldn't let me. You see, (laughs) I'm not this young, beautiful girl that you thought I was. I don't even know what you see when you're looking at me, honestly. It's like this. Her eyes pierced mine, freezing me in place from fear and shock. Her eyes had gone completely black. Her skin was cracking open and breathing. This thick, green-white pus oozed from the cracks. I've been alive for... (laughs) I can't even say at this point. She laughed, and it sounded like an animal's last dying breaths. All I know is, I was here before you humans found our gods. And I'll be here long after they all walked the fuck away on the pages you all created them on. The itch found its way to my elbow now. My entire arm an agonizing plethora of senses. That itch you're feeling? It's like this. You will forever feel that. It will shrink and grow around your body and no matter what you do it will exist and when you die you will still feel it your body will become motionless you will rot and you will become a shell of existence and yet you will feel that itch you just can't satisfy and you will suffer Her body grew even taller now. She was taller than a basketball player at this point. Her skin was like coarse leather, and the pus from her cracked skin was flowing from every crevice on her. Why me? Why are you doing this? That gross, mutilated laugh again. You asked me what I do for fun. Now you know. The skin cracked open, revealing a mass of pus and sinew and bones, breaking and reforming this 
evil fucking meatball of hate, its mouth an endless void of teeth and, and, and death. It breathed at me as it fell to the floor, staring at me with eyes I couldn't see. As I stared down into the void, I felt an impending fate for me. I felt everything she had said. I knew she, it, took my sanity away from me as I began to itch. I scratched at my entire arm until the thing that was once amber began to make this sound that I think was a laugh. I ran to the kitchen and grabbed a spoon to scrape the skin. No effect. I grabbed a fork and drove the prongs into my flesh. If anything, it just made the itch intensify. Just as I grabbed a knife, I heard the basement door open. Dude, what the fuck are you doing? I turned to see Jeremy, who didn't see what Amber had become because she... It... was gone now. All Jeremy saw was me, standing in the kitchen. A fork in my arm, which was torn to shreds like pulled pork, holding a knife in my only good hand. The whole thing happened about three months ago. I'm now in a hospital, getting professional help for my apparent mental break. The doctors believe this whole thing was caused from stress, from trying to please my peers, and my belief that a meaty, pus-filled ball with teeth was a paranoid break. So when I tell them that I still hear that fucking laugh every night. They take it with a grain of salt. And when I tell them that the itch is getting so bad that I I even want to scratch them, they sedate me. And I feel it the whole damn time. Thanks for listening, and thank you again to my authors, Caroline Geary and Stuart Leach. Your stories were fantastic. I thought they complemented each other pretty beautifully as well. A little love, lust kind of dealio going on. Uh, you can find the show at Scare You to Sleep on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at under Shelby B. Scott. You can also find me on Instagram, but I don't really update Instagram very often. Um, my personal one, anyway. I do the show one all the time. So, uh, what else? Oh, if you would like a story, would like me to do this thing that I do to your story, and if you'd like to be uh, considered for the show, you can send your stories to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. Uh, what else? Oh, I have a different podcast now. Please go check other than Dormio o Morir, which is not quite out yet. It will be Monday. If you're listening Monday, it's out. Go look for it. Um, but I do have another podcast that I do with my husband called Historic Hangouts. If you go, please check out that, that out. It's a little just fun passion project of ours. It's been really fun to work on. And those are new episodes every other Thursday. But right now there are two, the two first episodes are available already. A little taste of old, old and new old for you. Um, what else? Okay. What did I bake this week? (laughs) I made... Um, a tube of cinnamon rolls (laughs) 
and they were excellent. Uh, and I might make brownies this weekend. I don't know. I still need to make that millionaire's pie, or what was that thing I told you guys about? I don't remember what it was called. Millionaire's pie, I think is what it was called. Um, but anyway, I have kept you for so long. I've had so many announcements today, so I don't want to keep you too long after. I hope you guys have a great weekend and a great next week. Again, look out on Monday for that feed drop, which is what they're called here in the biz for it's just a little clip of the new Spanish version of the show. Um, I think that's all. I think that's all. I don't know. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but, uh, you, you guys will remind me next week. Um, <laughs> if I forgot anything. Oh, that's right. Go listen to Watch If You Dare with Derek and Aaron and listen to me and VP Morris, um, who a lot of you really loved Exit 13. I got a lot of uh, great messages about that story. So go listen to us talk about the Neon Demon. Um, that's Watch If You Dare or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I'm going to go. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>